I know. You have pins and needles that you're sitting on, don't you? You're wondering, what is he doing? What is he doing? Well, you see, today's message, I had an idea of where it was going to go. We're continuing the book of Romans, which we've been in now a year and a half. Is that right? I think we figured out exactly how long it was last week. But uh, today's passage starts with the three words, oh, or oh, no one, anything. Don't, maybe four words. Don't owe anybody anything, okay? And, and then it moves on to talk about other things. And so I thought the other things is what the uh, message would be about. And, and then I came across a commentary. One of the ones I'm using for Romans is by a guy, uh, a pastor theologian, James Boyce. And in his commentary, he takes a really long time to talk about money. Which in context, remember last week we just talked about the government, right? And how Paul says that all the authority is, is from God, and so Christians are supposed to submit to the government. And, and if you want to hear more about what we said about that, that's available on the app or on the website. I encourage you to do that if you weren't here. Um, but yeah, Boyce takes a long time to talk about money and to talk about debt. And at first I thought, well, that's not really what the scripture's about. And so I was going to move on with what I wanted to do. But then I thought, maybe this old guy has something to teach me here. And maybe he has a little bit of wisdom that I need to hear something. And so I thought about it and I prayed about it. I thought, you know what? Debt is a big issue in our churches and in our society. And money is a big issue in the Bible. The Bible talks about, the pastors get uh, a little heat if they talk about money too much. Well, it's a good thing uh, congregations didn't write the Bible because God is not, uh, he, he does not feel pressure to uh, quit talking about money. He talks about money all the time. And so I thought of another, um, I thought of another uh, sermon that I, I saw one time, and it was by um, uh, Ward Church, Scott McKee, thank you, drew a blank up at Ward Church uh, several years ago. And, but that sermon, the visual illustration, uh, really stuck out to me. It sticks in my mind, and so I've decided to reproduce it here for you today. Like I told the kids, there's really nothing new under the sun. It's just uh, recreating and reinventing, right? So the, if you want to look at your notes page, I, I have a, a, a visual here that will help you see how... God views money, or why God talks about money so much. God talks about money, because remember, God doesn't need your money to do anything, right? Everybody agree? Shake your heads, seven down, yes. God does not need my money to do anything, right? I cannot make him love me more by giving more of my money to him or by giving more money away, nor can I make him love me less by giving less. So far, everybody agree? Yes? Shake your heads up and down. Of course, Pastor, we agree with you. Yes? Okay. But here's what God wants. God wants your heart. He wants your love. And he knows in his infinite wisdom that your heart and your money, as long as we are in this uh, mortal coil, your heart and your money will be inextricably linked 
to one another. Now, the most natural way, and this is, I think, the first thing on your blank sh- on your notes page, the most natural way we see this happening is that our money... Hold on now. I did it in the wrong order. Our money will follow our heart. What you love will... What you love will draw your money to it. So if you are a lover of, give me an example, fine food, all right? If you love fine food, well, your grocery bill will be higher than my grocery bill. And when you go out to eat, you will probably spend more money. Somebody said video games. If you love video games, your money will follow your heart. If you love or you crave a sense of security, right, then you will probably have a state-of-the-art security system in your home and a doorbell that lets you watch in real time as the guy steals your car. If you love security, right? But what people fail to realize too often is that it works the other way as well. It works the other way as well. See, the first one is, my money will follow my heart. The second one is, well, guess what? My heart will also... Whoopsies. Fail. Good. Anybody listening to this has no idea what's going on, but but that's okay. Goodness gracious. Sarah, push the wagon. (laughs) You're all so gracious. You get it? All right. I'll do it again in a couple years. I'll do better. All right. But you know what I'm saying. The heart will follow the money as well. If you want to start caring about Orphans in Africa start giving sacrificially to an orphan ministry in Uganda. If professional sports teams know this, I think that's one of the reasons why the gear, the jerseys and everything and the t- are so expensive. If they can get you starting on that cycle of spending money, you'll find a way to love them. You'll find a way to love. And this happens all the time in marriages, by the way. The husband is a big, diehard sports fan of pick a team. And so he starts making his wife go to the games with him. Maybe he buys her some jersey for Christmas and everything. And then all of a sudden, down the road, the wife wakes up one day and she realizes that she actually likes this team. And she's actually bummed when they lose. Your heart will follow your money too. And so I say this when we take up the offering in worship. I say this oftentimes, don't I? That, that, that giving is sort of like exercising. It's sort of like bench pressing. You have giving muscles. And as you give, you train those muscles. That's why the Bible talks about money so much. And that's why we, we are not going to be afraid to talk about Money here. Now let's go to this, the text. Let's read uh, the text that we're talking about today from Romans 13. I'll start in chapter 8. And I'm going to kind of sandwich two sermons together. We're going to talk about the debt and the owing, but then we're going to get to the second half of the passage and we're going to get 
talking about another kind of debt. Paul says, you owe, we owe one another a debt of love. So let's talk about those two things. Uh, let's ask God's blessing over the reading of his word, and then we'll go to it together. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we do thank you that you want our heart. There's no reason, Lord, that you would desire our hearts. Why should you care about our affections, about whether we love you or not? But yet you do. You care for us. We read in the kids' Sunday school class today that Jesus told his disciples he was going away to his father's house where there are many rooms and he's going to prepare a room for me. And that if he leaves, he will surely come back to get me, to take me where he is so that I may be where he is. Why should you want to be with me? Except that you love me. You love me. Father, teach us about your love this morning. Move our hearts as you animate our minds and use your holy word, Lord, to do its thing. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as for the text, Paul says, Oh, no one anything. So it was four words, not three. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's take that first part first. Paul says, oh, no one anything. Now, this is one of those examples where if you take just those four words, you might build a whole theology on the, fact, on, on the belief that we can't borrow anything. We can't have credit cards. We can't have mortgages. We can't have car loans. We can't have student loans. And that would be false. We know that's false because we let Scripture, we let Scripture explain Scripture, right? And other places in Scripture, it talks about debt. And it talks about how if you're a lender, it talks to, it says do not um, do not charge exorbitant interests. And so here, what Paul is saying, and I like the way the NIV. If anybody has the NIV out there, you're said it just a little bit differently. It says uh, it said let no debt remain outstanding. Let no debt remain outstanding. And so what Paul has in mind here is, just as he said just before this, you owe uh, allegiance to the government, so long as the government is doing what good governments do, right? Remember that? You owe allegiance to the government. Well, in the same way, you owe, pay your debts. Pay your debts. He knows. Paul knows and God knows that borrowing is risky business, any kind of borrowing. 
is risky business. Some of you know in a very real, maybe a very painful way, that reality. I want to talk just four reasons. You could probably think of more. They're on your, I think you have blanks on your notes page. You write these down in your own words, but I can come up with four uh, reasons why before I take on any debt, I ought to at least think twice about it, if not thrice, because borrowing is risky business. Borrowing, number one, the first thing I think about is borrowing can destroy a family. Borrowing can destroy a family. I remember dad telling us as kids, don't ever lend money to a family member unless you're okay not getting it back. That was great advice. That was really good advice. And I I took it. I heeded it. And I don't know if I've ever loaned money or not. But the same could be said for your brother or your sister in church or a really good friend, don't lend money if you're not okay getting it back. The relationship that you have with that person, it's more important than the money. The relationship is more important than the money. And we'll see in just a little bit here, uh, the reason we're not to have unpaid debts is so that love will not be sacrificed. Do you remember when I said your, your heart and your money are linked here with my clever contraption that didn't quite work. What happens when somebody you love owes you money? What happens to your love as you you don't get repaid? As the money is not coming back, is your love going closer to that person or farther away? It's going farther away, isn't it? This is true, biological family, like I said, church family, work friends, it's important. Number two, borrowing puts you under the authority of the lender. Now, we're under the authority of God all the time. First and foremost, under the authority of God. If your family, if your parents tell you to do something that God tells you not to do, disobey your parents. If your government tells you not to do something that God commands you to do, disobey the government, right? God, the authority, God is our number one authority. The word of God is our number one authority. But the more authorities that you voluntarily put yourself under, the more complicated that becomes, the more difficult it's going to become to then obey God, to be under his authority. So if, if I have uh, uh, my student loans and if I have my, 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 my mortgage and if I have my, my Best Buy card and my Kohl's card and my Gap card and my, you know what I'm saying? I'm, now it's going to become more and more difficult for me to honor God in my finances, isn't it? Which leads us to point number three. Point number three is when you are in debt, you're not as free to love your neighbor. You're not as free to love your neighbor. Loving God and loving people is what you are on earth to do. Owing other people means that when your Christian brother or sister is in need, has an emergency, guess who's not able to help? You. Because not only do you not have any money to help, if you did have money, you got to give it to your other master before you can help your friend or neighbor. And then the fourth one is borrowing money. The reasons why we borrow money 
is very often sketchy. Very often sketchy. So borrowing from family, borrowing can destroy a family. Borrowing puts you under extra or additional authorities. When you're in debt, you're not as free to love your neighbor. And the fourth thing is, we often go into debt for very sketchy reasons. Now, most people assume, most people assume that a mortgage is an okay reason to go into debt, that that's good debt. I've heard it called good debt. Now, that may be the case. Most of us don't have six figures laying around that we can use to buy a house, and we got to live somewhere. So maybe mortgages are, are fine. Although, have you seen how much of that thing is interest? It, it is crazy. Yeah. Whew. I can't look at it. But then we have other debts that are kind of like a gray area debt. So they're debts. Student loans, car payments. Again, most people, including most Christians, would probably say those are okay things. And maybe they are. But I think we could at least stop and say, am I sure I need that? Or am I sure that debt is the right way to go about getting that thing? But these aren't the, these aren't the debts that are really crippling society and the church, and especially young people today. The debts that are really crippling us are, do you want to sign up for the Kohl's charge, save 15% today? And then how many times are we tempted to do that? And then even one thing, even a $100 purchase on there, how much will you spend if, if you take, pay the minimum payment at 17%? I don't know, but I think it'd take you like 10 years to pay it off and you'll spend like three or $400 on it. But the reasons why we do that, think about us as Christians though. Because that message could preach to anybody, right? Anybody should pay, pay attention to that wisdom. But what about us as Christians? What is it saying about us as Christians when we take on more and more credit card debt? Now, I'm not talking about yet a medical emergency. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, the car uh, engine blew up, a car broke down. Sometimes I'm talking about, uh, you know, the wants. I want that. Numerous times I've sat with Christians who have tens of thousands of dollars, not of student loan, not of mortgages, not of medical bills, consumer debt, credit card debt, tens of thousands of dollars. What's that saying if you're a Christian? Isn't it saying, I mean, check me if I'm wrong here, but if you have a bunch of credit card debt that you can't pay off, isn't that saying, isn't that revealing something about your heart? Saying, oh, I believe that X, Y, or Z, uh, I should have it. And I'm not really too worried about working for it or earning it. Or like you're saying to God, God, you haven't given me enough. I mean, is that being too harsh? Isn't that where the heart is? You haven't given me enough, so I'm going to take... I'm going to take that thing, even though you haven't given me enough to buy it. If you have crippling credit card debt, it's not an unforgivable sin. Of course it's not an unforgivable sin. You think Jesus hanging on the cross wasn't enough to cover that sin? Of course it is. So please, don't despair and don't beat yourself up. Don't think your case is hopeless. There are lots of resources out there to help you get out of debt, but... You need to do what the Word of God says. You need to, oh, don't owe anybody anything. And if you want to see me later, 
I can hook you up with some of those resources that can help get back on the right track. And then when you get that debt paid off, you have power now. You have power to bless people. You have power to do things you couldn't do before because you're not a slave. You're not under the authority of that guy or of that company. Now, kind of the next part of this passage. Paul says, oh, no one anything except, except to love each other. The NIV, I'm going to go back to the NIV translation, let no debt remain outstanding. But then it says this, except the continuing debt, the continuing debt to love one another. We owe that debt to one another because you know how, you know why you do? It's really, it's because of what you owe, what you owe Jesus. It's because of your debt to God. What's your debt to God? How, how much is it? If God sent you a bill, what would be on the line? Uh, yeah, a sideways eight, right? Infinity, right? My debt to God is infinite, right? It's infinite, right? I mean, Jesus loves you so much that even while you were a sinner, he died for you. That's what he paid for you. And you cannot pay God back for that. Well, thankfully, guess what? God doesn't ask you to pay him back. God doesn't want repaid. But he does ask for something. He wants love. He wants love. The greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I, had, uh, I asked Diane to read the story of the Good Samaritan. Because when we're talking about loving our neighbor as ourselves, it's useful to think, who is our neighbor? You know, a lot of people make a big deal, and you should make a big deal in that story out of the fact that he helped, the guy's in physical trouble, he's bleeding on the side of the road, and, and the Samaritan helps him. And, and by helping him, he, he puts him on his own animal, he takes him to the innkeeper, he pays for his bills, right? But if, if you ever hear a sermon on this, uh, and the preacher doesn't say something about the fact that the guy was a Samaritan, you should write the preacher a letter. Because biggest point of that story is the neighbor is the guy you Jewish leaders who Jesus is talking to the neighbor notice is the guy who it's difficult to love the guy you don't naturally love so how do you love people like that how, how do we have a debt to love, an ongoing debt, an unpayable debt to love people like that, to love people who are hard to love, to love people who have done us wrong, to love people who have done other people wrong, to love people who are, who are preaching false gospels, to love people who are, 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 are bombastic, egotistic, uh, corrupted politicians, to, to, to love people who are bosses that, that just can't ever say a nice word about us and nothing's ever good enough for us, to love uh, spouses who, who we haven't had a good marriage in, 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 in 
15 years it hasn't been good. How do you love people like that? And what, what is this language of a debt? How does the language of a debt to love help us love people like that? Two aspects, and they both have to do with knowing Jesus and understanding the gospel. I'm going to give you two aspects, and you see if you, you focus in on these two aspects, you meditating, you praying on these two aspects this week, if it doesn't help you to love your neighbor, to love the person who's not automatically lovable in your life. The first one is kind of a positive example. The second one is maybe a more negative example. The first one being the positive example is this. What has God done for you? You see this what has God done for you? Our foster parent nights are an amazing teaching tool in regards to this, if you'll let them be. When you are holding, when you are holding that three-month-old who is on a feeding tube, and you are looking at her, and you are thinking, what chance does this infant have in life unless, right? Unless somebody outside will reach down and save her. Has she done anything to earn it? No. But she has no chance unless somebody... This, brothers and sisters, is your position in this world before God. You think about that five-year-old who is, is jumping on the chairs, who is, is disrespecting you, who won't listen to you, who is out of control... Is that not you? Can you not see how you have done the same thing to God? You know better. Surely you are going to do it your way, not God's way. Haven't you done that same thing? And, and what chance now does that little boy have unless, right, unless somebody will go down to his level while he's still screaming at you, you can't wait for him to fix himself or to be good. You got to get down on his level. Now the spit can get on your face, right? And you grab him and you hug him. And you say, I love you. What a picture of what God has done for you. So anybody who is difficult for you to love, you can remember that you have been just as difficult, if not more difficult, for God to love. You see what you've done there? You've used the gospel. It, it, it can change your whole world. It can change your whole world. The second one is a little bit negative. <sighs> negative. I don't know if that's the right word. It has to do with judgment. Forgiveness is really hard for a lot of people. Forgiveness. But we have to forgive. And we talked about this in Sunday school too. That uh, in the Lord's Prayer, the actual language is forgive, uh, uh, forgive us our debts in the same way that we forgive our debtors. Or forgive me my sins in the same way that I forgive those who sin against me. That's what I'm asking God to do. We have to be a people. Uh, we have to be a people who are forgiving, but it's very hard for people sometimes. So, again, I want you to remember the gospel. I want you to remember the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, that person who has sinned against you, or sinned against others, 
hard for you to love, hard for you to forgive. They're one of two things. That person is either in Christ or not in Christ. That either a person is either saved or not saved. And guess who doesn't know which one it is? Put your hand up. Say me. A little bit louder. Say me. me. All right, that's right. You don't know which one that person is. But it's one or the other. If the person is in Christ, if the person is saved, that means when Christ went to the cross to pay for your sins so that you might live forever with him, he also paid for that person's sins. And for you, if, what does it mean that for you to desire for that person to suffer more? For you to desire for that person to experience more judgment for their sin than what Christ has already experienced for them? Huh? Do you ever think about it that way? Don't do that. We don't dare wish that upon anybody because if they're in Christ, their sins are covered. Their sins are paid in full. Now, we've done sermons on forgiveness before. You know that forgive and forget, is a, that's phony, right? It doesn't mean that we're not putting barriers in place. It doesn't mean that we're pretending as if the thing never happened. But it's forgiving, right? You're not renting them space in your mind or in your heart. You're not wishing ill will against them anymore. You're releasing them. That's forgiving. Now, the other side of it, if they're not in Christ, if the person who's wronged you or the person who's wronged others is not in Christ, then that means when they stand before God the Father one day, they will answer for themselves. And there is nothing that you or I or any power in this world can do to that person to add one bit of pain, suffering, terror, or whatever than than experiencing the full wrath of God without Jesus there to buffer. Nothing. So you wishing ill will upon that person, it is utterly pointless. And so now you are free to love. You're free to love. Even your enemy. That's what the gospel can do for us. I'll ask you to remember, I'll close with this. I'll ask you to remember our foster care community right now because then statewide and all over the, all over the state, changes are being made. And the, the government is moving to put children, to keep children in homes in all but the most extreme cases. And so what that means is an awful lot of our, our foster parent friends are, are having to say goodbye right now. Sometimes to children that they've had in their homes for two, three, four years. Several of them on Friday night asked for prayer for this very thing that's, that's happening right now. And I think about this in the same way as far as grace goes. And as these kids are being sent back to these bad situations, what chance is there for them? And as you think about that, again, just think about yourself. As these kids are being sent back into situations under bad leadership, under bad authority, and ba- you were put here in this world under the leadership, under the power of the devil. And it looked as though there was no hope for you. 
But God wasn't done. God wasn't done. What, what the devil thought he could do, God had other ideas. And he broke into space and time. And he tore the curtain of the temple in two by taking the worst that the devil could dish out upon himself. And because of that, there is nobody, nobody who is hopeless in this life or the next. And that's the message that you've been entrusted with. That's the truth that you have that so many, the most people out there don't know. They do not know that. And you do. And you have a debt. You have a debt of love to pay to them. God, as we think about this, we all have probably names and faces that come to our minds. People we have not loved well. We have been stingy with our love. And we ask you to forgive us. And Lord, we could beat ourselves up and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and say... I'm going to do better. I'm going to love more now. I'm going to fix this problem with myself. But that's not how it works, is it, Lord? You, you know that's not how it works. And that's why the gospel is so important. I pray, Lord, that we would see ourselves in those who are hard to love. Show us our own, like mirrors. Act like a mirror. Show us our own actions towards you. And may we be one that you use to reach into these lives. Be your instruments of love and grace. Use us in this way. Holy God. Amen.